Colossians chapter 4. I'll have you turn in your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 5 through 6, page 1,355. If you're using that Bible under the seat in front of you, Colossians chapter 4. Lord, we only have a few moments together in your word to consider your truth. And yet these words in this short period of time can have such an eternal impact on our lives and on the lives of the people that we see day in and day out. Lord, I pray that you would make it very plain to us as your people what you want to do in and through our lives. And I pray that we'd be obedient. We'd step out in faith even. Speak, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. A football game lasts exactly 60 minutes. It's one hour. That's the official game clock. Of course, we actually know it's much longer than that, right? We have halftime and timeouts and, what, about two and a half hours of commercial breaks. So I never watch a football game live. I record it, and you can get through it real quick. But 60 minutes in a football game and the action's intense. There's a lot of work. But understand that most of the work and most of the action that goes into a football game takes place the week before. As coaches spend hours and hours of time analyzing film, trying to find weaknesses in the opposing team's offense or defense. They spend much time and energy formulating a game plan, a strategy, and that's an absolute must. You have to have that game plan before game time. Well, I would like to submit to you that as Christians, we need a game plan for the most important thing that God has called each and every one of us to do as his people which is to reach out to others with the love of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about strategy for that in your own personal efforts? Well, we get the game plan in these verses that I've taken you to this morning. Look what Paul says to Christians in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 4. He says, walk in. In wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Christian, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So Paul tells us, and this is to all of us as Christians, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Who are those that are outside? Who are the outsiders? We're 
It's all those people in your life that are outside the Christian community of faith. All those who are outside the church. Non-believers. Non-Christians. Now, my brother, my sister in Christ, you're surrounded by them. Every day. You live in the midst of them. Does everybody, is everybody in your life a born-again Christian? Absolutely not. You may have... Family members who are outside, neighbors, co-workers, in your circle of friends, people in the community, clients, people that you conduct business with daily. You're surrounded, Christian, by outsiders. And understand what that means. These are people who are outside a relationship with God. These are people who are outside the kingdom of light. And I want you to think about that for a moment. People who are living in darkness, people who are living in confusion, people who are living in brokenness, people who are living in fear of death every day, people who are confused, People who are dissatisfied. Now, there's a lot of non-believers in your life that, you know, they may be very wealthy, look like they got the great connections, and they put a good face on everything in life. But trust me, anyone outside a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is in peril. There's loneliness. There's dissatisfaction. There's fear. In fact, it might be helpful every now and then for you, Christian, to remember what life was like for you before you became a Christian. So we are surrounded by outsiders. And this scripture tells us that we are to interact with them. We're to engage them. Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. So that is a calling for every one of us as Christians. You know, there are many Christians who try to isolate themselves from the world. They avoid all the non-believers in their lives. One guy referred to many Christians as rabbit hole Christians. In the morning, they pop out of their safe Christian homes hold their breath at work, scurry home to their families and then off to their Bible studies, and finally end the day praying for all the unbelievers they safely avoided all day long. (laughs) Rabbit hole Christians. Christians that maybe want to blend in. We are called to engage them. All of those outsiders, those non-believers in your life. So, what kind of strategy should we have in doing that? Should we go for the direct assault approach? The figurative machine gun preacher. (laughs) You go into the office every day with your Bible and you blast people. With Bible verses, you're sharing the gospel, you're... Pointing out everybody's sin. 
Is that going to work? Now, there are, I think, places for that direct assault. I think in street preaching, knocking on doors, you know, when you try to bring the gospel to strangers, I've seen God do amazing things through that. But in the midst of all the people that you interact with personally on a day-by-day basis, that's not going to work. You're going to annoy people. You're going to turn people off. In my opinion, you'll do damage to the Christian faith. So what is our strategy to be? Well, this, these two verses, they, they make it so clear. And I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a guarantee. I guarantee if you grab hold of these two verses and implement them in your lives, you will lead people to Jesus. God will expand his kingdom through your personal witness. I guarantee it. So what's the strategy here? Well, number one, and this is a very important step in the game plan. Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Walking, you remember, in the Bible is figurative. It speaks of living. The walk is the way you live your life daily. The day-by-day routine. Your daily interaction with all of the people in your life. Step one, cannot be avoided, must be in place. You are to live the Christian life in the midst of all those outsiders. You're to live that different, unique life. Jesus said you're the salt of the earth. He said you're the light of the world. That's what you need to be in your office, in your neighborhood, in your sphere of influence. The salt. The light. You have to display a Christian life. You have to live it. It has to be seen. You remember last week we talked about what a fruitful Christian looks like. Galatians chapter 5, I'll just remind you. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So that's who you are. That's how you live. You're the man or woman who loves the agape love, the unconditional love. You have a joy in your life that radiates you. You have peace. You're long-suffering. You're patient. You have self-control. You're gentle with people, making you absolutely different. You're hopeful, positive, encouraging, supportive. You're a diligent worker. You're hardworking. People can count on you. You live that kind of life right in the midst of all those outsiders. 
Paul uses the word wisdom. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Wisdom is the Greek word sophia. doesn't speak of head knowledge. A lot of people have head knowledge. Wisdom is how you use all the head knowledge. So as a Christian, you have knowledge of God's word. In all of the intricate details of life and dealing with people. And you skillfully exercise wisdom in the lives, in the midst of all those non-believers. Gang, that's a must. It was Emerson who said, your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. It's so true. William Toms said, be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. Think of that. You have to display it. You have to live it. And gang, please understand, in in this area of life where it's the people that you see day in and day out and all of that activity, you have to be consistent over weeks, over months, dare I say, over years. You're the Christian man, the Christian woman in your office, in your community. You're doing that through tough times. You're doing that through good times. Now you say, well, what if I blow it as a Christian? Are Christians perfect? Do they live a perfect life? No. But you know you can even show Christ in the midst of your failure. By showing people what humble repentance is. And honest confession. Of course we're not going to live perfect. But we certainly should live different. Somebody said, do not let your life be like a shooting star which lights up the sky for only a brief moment. Let your life be like the sun which always burns brightly in the heavens, bringing light and warmth to all those on the earth, all those people in your life, that constant, steady, consistent glow. Man, your lifestyle, the way you live. Now notice what Paul says about speech. Lifestyle is important, but speech is also very important. Verse 6, speaking to Christians. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. So now let's get into verbal communication, your verbal interaction with all of the non-believers in your life. The words that you speak, the way that you dialogue. really, really important. In fact, the book of Proverbs tells us that the tongue or the words that we speak are are some of the most powerful things in life. Proverbs 18 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life in the power of the tongue. 
Proverbs 16 says, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs 15 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. I love that. Proverbs 25, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Oh, your words, your speech pattern, the way you speak to others, can do so much good. James, of course, tells us also that the power of tongue can do so much bad. He says in James 3, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire. It's a word, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. All the damage you can do with your words. The way you can tear people down. Christian, we're to speak those good words. It says, let your speech always be with grace. Grace, that's favor. That's kindness. That's gentleness. That's encouragement. That's equipping. That's being mannerful, respectful. You say, but what if I have to tell somebody something tough? I have to get hard on somebody. I have to, you know, rebuke someone. You can still do that with grace, right? You can still do that with grace. And tactfulness. The Holy Spirit will help you. It says, let your speech always be seasoned with salt. I love this. Seasoned with salt. Some of the ancient rabbis used this phrase to speak of something that we would call wit. I thought, I found that interesting. Christians are to be witty. Clever. Interesting to listen to. Able to capture attention. I believe that every Christian should be well informed in what's happening in culture, in world events, in society. Know what's going on and be able to dialogue with people about it. With wit. To be seasoned with salt. um, I love to put salt on everything. Why? Makes it taste better. I like the spice. Your speech among non-believers should make Christianity taste good. Make it more appealing. The way you talk 
should make people thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. It should make people thirsty for God's truth. In fact, it's interesting. The Greek word translated speech here is actually that famous word, logos. Christian, let your logos. Logos, man, that's a heavy-duty, big-time word. Christ is called the word, the logos of God. It speaks of the reasoning. It speaks of the overarching principle. Your message, your message, everything about your verbal communication, man, that's logos. You're making Christianity tasty. You're pointing people to Christ. So that's the idea here. You want to lead people to Christ. You want to reach people for Christ. Live the Christian life in front of them. And inject your Christian beliefs into your daily conversation. Not in a preachy way. but in a natural way because you're just being who you are. So, you know, things like you're talking about something with somebody and you could say, you know, I was reading my Bible today and I got this really cool verse. You don't have to take out your Bible and beat them over the head with the Bible. Just in the natural daily conversation, you could say, I heard something really interesting at church on Sunday. I was praying about this. Sprinkle the salt. Let people know. Now, what do you think is going to happen in your life if you do that? If you have that kind of a consistent display you're going to get opportunities. People will come to you and wonder what's different about you. They'll ask the question. So Paul says in verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, check this out, redeeming the time. Now this, this word time, it's key in the Greek language, kairos in scripture. It speaks of these divinely appointed times. These appointments that God has put in place. In fact, we find that word in Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of the time had come, Kairos, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So that very carefully concocted timeline, at that precise moment, Kairos moment in time, Jesus came. Same word here. Redeeming the time. You're going to have an opportunity. Opportunities are going to come your way. Appointments are going to be made. People are going to ask. So the idea here is what a lot of Bible scholars and teachers will refer to responsive evangelism. Responsive evangelism 
is where you just respond. So the idea here is you live, you speak like a Christian in front of all those people. All you have to do then is field opportunities. That's it. Just field opportunities. Respond. You don't have to go into everyone's life and try to make opportunities. Try to break doors down. You respond. You accept the opportunities. You live a certain way and people will come to you. They'll ask you. There's a wonderful story in uh, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. And they're leading people to Christ there. And they get arrested, if you remember this story. And they get placed in prison. And Paul and Silas are placed down in the deepest, darkest dungeon of this prison. They're chained. They're put in the stocks. It's ugly. Right around midnight, the scripture says that they're praying together and they're singing hymns. Isn't that cool? Not complaining, not moping. Why am I here? They're they're singing hymns. They're praying. And the scripture clearly tells us that all the prisoners around them were listening. Who are these two guys? God sends an earthquake. Shakes the foundations of the prison. The doors are open. The chains come off. Everyone's free. They can go. The jailer, if you remember, he gets woken up. He runs down and he sees everything broken and everything. And this guy, he pulls out his sword. He's about to commit suicide because... In those days, if a jailer had anybody escape on their watch, it was death. So this guy is going to do himself in. And right as he's about to plunge that sword, Paul calls out to him, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. Paul and Silas are still there. All the prisoners are still there. They haven't left. They're having a great church service in there, you see. So this jailer calls for a light, runs in, falls down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? See, he saw two men. Singing and praying in the midst of a dungeon. Who does that? He sells two men who had respect for him as a jailer, somebody they didn't really even know, and they didn't escape. And this guy says, what must I do to be saved? And what did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Gang, that's responsive evangelism. You are to live your life every day so that people come to you and say, Sir, ma'am, what must I do to be saved? 
I see such life in you. I see such truth and joy in you. I will tell you, it happens. Before I was a pastor, I worked as an engineer. I worked in the secular workforce, and I worked for this defense contractor for several years, and I was the, you know, the kid in the office, mid-20s, late-20s. I worked with top-notch PhDs, physicists, astrophysicists, all of these different people. And you know what? I didn't preach at anyone. I've never been like that. Today, I'm uncomfortable when you call me preacher. I don't want that vibe. I just want to be real. And that's what I would do. I would just be real. I would just try to shine in that office. And I've told you before, one of the biggest things that I did that made me stand out amongst non-believers is that I just simply didn't cuss. If you just simply don't cuss <laughs> in front of people, people wonder, what in the world? I didn't cuss. I didn't go to the happy hours and get drunk with them. Although I would go to things with them, but never got involved in all that. No dirty jokes. No dirty talk. Just tried to be the best worker I could possibly be. And I will tell you, I, there were times where I had you know, guys in their 60s that would come into my office, shut the door, and They're going through a problem. Terry, what is it? Who are you? You just feel the opportunities. It happened all throughout my life where I was working when I was in college. Still to this day, although as a pastor, you know, I'm dealing mostly with Christians now. But you guys are still in the workforce. You're out there in the community. You're the ones. The job of the church, as I'm going to talk about in a couple of weeks, is really to equip everyone else for the ministry that takes place out there. It will absolutely happen. So, you're to redeem those opportunities. You're to buy them up. The people come to you, what's different? You buy them up. You speak to them. Paul says at the end of verse 6, Know how you ought to answer each one. So you've lived, you've spoken a certain way, you get the question, what makes you different? And then you know how to answer them. Every Christian should know how to share the gospel message. God loves you. He's holy. He made you. Mankind has fallen into sin. It separates us from God. It's the cause of all the problems. God in his great love sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins and rise again. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. You'll become a brand new creation, a child of God. I've totally summed that up, but you're just, you're just sharing that from your heart. Telling your story. Here's how I was living. 
I met Christ. This is what happened. Gang, you have to know how to answer that. When that jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? They immediately said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. You got to say that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what changed you. Share the gospel. When he says know how you ought to answer each one, the idea here is, you know, every person that you speak with is, is different. There's, they're unique. It's like being a parent with multiple kids. You ever wish that there could be a cookie-cutter approach to raising kids? Is there? No. Oh, no. No. Every, every kid is unique, and, 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 and you and your wife, you and your spouse, you prayerfully think about how you're going to craft each one. Every person that you're going to meet, every outsider, think of that, that's unique. And God's going to give you an angle. God's going to give you the witty thing to say. He will. He'll blow your mind. But you've got to earn that right to speak. By being that salt and that light. I want to close this morning with a few warnings. Some of you are going to hear this and you're going to think, okay, great, theory, awesome. No, do it. Really make this happen in your life. We, the church talks a lot about revival. You know when revival happens is when every Christian lives for Christ. And speaks and reaches out to others. If you're a born again Christian, I certainly would hope that the people you know and love, that you would wish them the same benefit you have. Do you? I'll warn you, if you do want to get really salty and really start asking the Lord to, to use you personally, man, the enemy will attack. The enemy will attack. He'll do everything he can to discourage you, but you fight through. And you also need to know that no matter how loving you are, no matter how well you Um, display the Christian life, there are going to be certain people that just hate you. They just hate you. They'll want nothing to do with you. Don't let that discourage you because there'll be a lot more people that will come to you. Hey, what must I do to be saved? But know that that's coming. When I was at this defense contracting company that I was telling you about, there there was a guy there who was a devout atheist, and he hated me. <laughs> he ridiculed me. We'd be at the lunchroom, and he, time to pray, Terry? <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed at me, and he poked fun at me. and You know, and he's one of the brilliant guys. 
One day I had a day off and I was with another coworker. We were on a ski lift at Santa Fe. And we got the call that that man had just dropped dead of a heart attack. How my heart broke. But I tried. But it was interesting, the guy that I was sitting with, after we got news, I was able to inject a little bit of Christianity. His name's Curtis Jingle. Several months later, he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. God will use any and everything. Just be real. Father, I pray your great blessing upon my brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you for the way you want to use us. God, I pray that we would not be afraid to be salt and light. Lord, thank you that you want to use us. Thank you that you've given us the greatest message. Lord, please help us to get out of our selfish bubbles and look out into this great big world and all those people that we see day in and day out. Give us a heart for them. Anoint us by your Holy Spirit. Give us the right words to say. I do pray for that balance that we could, that we would come across as natural, not preachy, but real, genuine. And then, Father, I want to give anyone here an opportunity. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've had some Christians witnessing to you. Maybe the Lord has been drawing you to himself. Man, have you received Christ? Has your life been changed? Are you inside the church, the Christian community of faith. Are you in the family of God? Bible said, Bible says, as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Have you put your faith on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you admitted your sinfulness? Have you recognized that Christ died for you and rose again? Right now, invite him to be your savior. If that's you, just with the quietness of your heart, Lord Jesus, I receive you. I open my heart to you. Wash away all my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. 
Help me to follow you and live for you. And use my life to touch others. There's so many people all around me that need such help. Use me. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me.